Thank you so much, Pastor Dan. It is great to be here uh, at Life Church St. Louis. All of the brave people who've come out, uh, even with winter storm warnings, uh, to come and to talk about missions. Again, my name is David Godswa, together with my wife Kelly and our three children. Uh, we're going to be seeing that uh, presentation there up on the screen. You're going to get a chance to see uh, their picture here in just a moment. Our three children, Rebecca, Joseph, and Jonathan. Uh, they're up on the screen. I'm looking at them here, so if I can get it right, uh, from left, uh, yeah, left to right. Uh, Rebecca, she's our oldest. She's our 20-year-old junior evangel. Uh, Joseph, he is there in the middle, uh, 18 years old, freshman, uh, also an evangel. And Jonathan, he's our 17-year-old, and uh, he is a junior in high school. And we have been uh, serving uh, on the Yucatan Peninsula, is this? It is. It's on now. It wasn't turned on, so we're moving now. We're at the uh, on the Yucatan Peninsula. That's a picture there up on the screen. Uh, we've been serving for the past 13 years in the city of Merida, or Merida, if we speak in English to say that word. Uh, that is the capital city on the Yucatan Peninsula. You know, we're excited uh, to be able to share, and one of the things that we're doing during this time is uh, we're going to be taking faith promises. Now, there's no pressure on you today if a lower turnout or anything like that, right, Pastor Dan? But, uh, you know, I just wanted to just mention this, and I know several of you got your bulletin. Pastor Dan's going to be coming a couple, uh, a few minutes, uh, a little bit longer than a few minutes to be able to to take faith promises. Um, But if you want to just pull that out and just hold that in your hand, I'm not going to go and take all the time this morning to talk about these, Um, but you can just start filling this out. And if you are filling that out, during my sermon, then I think you're taking notes. So that makes me feel better uh, about that. But if you just uh, be looking at that, I just want to just mention about faith promise giving. I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. I was 15 years old, got saved in the Sons of God Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I remember even then, uh, I didn't have a job, but it was time for faith promises. And I put down, I remember $60, and I thought, how in the world am I going to have $5 a month? I don't have a penny to my name. Um, but it was amazing at the end of the year to see that I had been able to give that $60 and then to be able to trust God for that additional amount that was going to be coming later on and to see that ability to go each year to be able to increase that and the, the giving that we're doing right now, uh, the blessing that we've received because of faith promises, uh, the excitement that we have and the ability to be able to say, God, you know, you need to do this and to see him to respond. It's always been a blessing for me uh, to do faith promise giving. And so we're excited to be able to talk about missions. We're excited to be able to talk about Mexico. Uh, But before we go any further, what I'd like to do is just uh, dedicate the rest of this time uh, to the Lord by praying and asking him to be with us during this time that we might be able to respond uh, to what he's going to do in each one of our hearts. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I'm just so thankful uh, for these moments that we have uh, here at Life Church, here in Chesterfield, Missouri. We're thankful, Lord God, uh, for uh, the people that are here and the message that we are about to receive. And we just pray, Lord God, that each one of us would be sensitive to what you would be speaking to us and how you would want us to respond today to the message that is going to be brought. I thank you, Lord God, that you uh, have been present throughout this sermon, throughout this this service. But we do pray, O oh Lord God, that you would meet with us in a special way by the power of your Holy Spirit. And help us to be sensitive to you and responsive to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Now, before I do go any further in, pres in the presentation, I do want to introduce you to just one more family member. That's our 10-year-old Minister Schnauzer, Kaishin. How many dog people do we have here this morning? Got a, got a few. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you need to know about our dog. First of all, she's brave. Uh, she's only 10 pounds. I mean, she, doesn't, she looks a little bit bigger in that, that photo. She only has 10 pounds, but she will come up against a dog maybe even three times her size, and she will not back down. She's fun, though, as well. She likes to play tug uh, with her rope. She likes to play catch. We have a little carrot that we throw to her. She likes to play with that. But, you know, there's nothing more important to her than this next thing. Now, we would like to say it's her owner's, but it's actually this. It's her, her bed. Now, she sleeps there. Uh, she will eat there. Anything that we will give to her as a treat or anything that falls from the table, she will take that and she will go and she will go to her bed and she will eat that there. Uh, she also commits mischief there, especially when we take long trips. She likes to go into the trash and take out tissues and tear them up into her bed. I'm wondering what's going to wait us when we get back. Now, uh, basically, I'm saying all this to say that her bed is her world. Now, many of us might concede that her world is a little bit limited, Comfortable, yes, but limited. But that's okay, right? She's a dog. It's okay. But how many of us, like I do from time to time, feel tempted to live that limited existence? You know, we turn on the news and we hear of division within, disaster and tragedy without. We get tired of the wars. We get tired of the scandal. We get tired of the shouting. We just want to turn it all off, and we want to go like Kaishin and find our happy place. It's there that we feel that life makes sense. It's there that we feel safe and secure. It's there we feel comfortable, comfortable but limited. You know, friends, that's not the life that God has created us to live. He is inviting us to go beyond this morning, beyond that routine existence, beyond that shrinking sphere of influence, beyond our limitations, be those real or imagined. Now, I know some, might you, might, might have, uh, some of you might say, well, that's fine for you or your family, your missionaries. But I would suggest this morning that's the life he's calling all of us to experience. You see, even from the beginning of this movement that we call Christianity, even before the church, before the day of Pentecost, even before the cross, Jesus was inviting his followers to go beyond with him. Let's take a look at that this morning. We're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 15 in the Bible. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we're going to start there in verse 1. You're going to be seeing that up on the screen as well. And it reads as follows. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, I don't know about you, but this reads to me like a Sunday morning news show. Except instead of the Democrats and the Republicans, we have the Pharisees and teachers of the law. What were they doing? They were attempting to draw Jesus and his followers inward, into the discussion, into the controversy. Their argument was about their customs and their traditions, their rituals and their routines. They were hoping for a debate, and they were arming themselves to prove their point on secondary issues. What's the danger of all of this? What's the danger of being, being drawn inward? What's the danger of focusing on these secondary issues? Well, we're going to find out that, first of all, it leads to a limited understanding. Jesus, he rejects these leaders' question, arguing that their customs were merely man-made ideas. But, you know, this rocked the disciples' world. 
This, in their mind, was the big time. It was though they had just made it to the major leagues and Jesus wasn't even taking his turn at bat. It was as though they had been invited to the stage of Carnegie Hall and Jesus wouldn't even step out from behind the curtain. So they whisper to him there in verse 12, and they they say to Jesus, Jesus, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? He chides them then in verse 16, saying, don't you understand yet? It's as though he was saying, don't you get it? You've been following me for so long, you still don't see what it is that I'm trying to show you? Friends, they were dealing with a limited understanding. But this Focusing on secondary issues doesn't just lead to a limited understanding. It also leads to a near-sighted vision. In verse 14, Jesus, he tells his followers to make a clean break with these Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You see, these religious leaders had been focusing on the secondary issues for so long, they had lost the ability to see the big picture. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. They had a near-sighted vision They were blinded to the real issues. And so we see that this focusing on these secondary issues leads to a limited understanding. It takes us to a nearsighted vision, but it results in a hypocritical faith. This is the final stage of this sickness of focusing on these secondary issues. Jesus called the religious leaders of his day hypocrites, And he quoted the prophet Isaiah, lamenting, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Theirs was the teaching of do as I say, not as I do. It was a religion of form without substance. It was a preaching without practice. It was a teaching without transformation. Friends, let's not stay there. Let's not stand our ground only to see Jesus walk on by. Let's not lose our focus from his presence by by focusing in on petty arguments. Let's hear and respond rather to his call to go beyond. But what do we find when we follow Jesus there? What do we find when we go with Jesus beyond? We find, first of all, that God provokes amazing faith in the most unlikely individuals. We're continuing on in Matthew 15, now in verse 21. It says this, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus, like any good teacher, took his students on a field trip. 
They crossed the border into the, to a foreign region, but, but not just any foreign region. They were crossing into Tyre and Sidon. These were areas known for their opposition to the Jews and the God that they worshipped. It was, in fact, from Sidon that Jezebel had come. She was none other than the wife of the most wicked king of all of Israel. She was the one who had incited him to set up Baal, a false god, as the object of the state religion during that time. Now, not only that, that when they arrived, instead of passing under the radar, instead of blending in, they found themselves being pestered by a woman. And not just any woman. She was the mother of a demon-possessed girl. They were sure to be looking for not only a quick exit and a place to wash their hands, but I'm sure at this time they were looking for a bath and a change of clothes as well. But then Jesus, he talks to this woman. And to their surprise, they find that she showed more insight, she showed more understanding, more faith, if you will, than anyone in the entire house of Israel. That's because, friends, God has a tendency to provoke amazing faith in the most unlikely individuals. This woman, in the midst of her desperate situation, she realized what all the rest couldn't comprehend. She said to Jesus, Jesus, I don't need all of your power. I just need what everyone else won't notice. Just give me the crumbs because that will be enough to deliver my daughter. Stunning words in the mouth of a most improbable speaker. You know, they had said the same of Jose Luis. He's pictured there right behind me, a teacher and a businessman from Mani, Yucatan. Having been schooled and later teaching Marxist theories for 31 years, Jose Luis had rejected God as simply a clever invention used for exploitation and manipulation. He was a declared atheist, and he was proud of what he had considered his enlightened worldview. If there was ever an unlikely candidate for Christianity, Jose Luis would have been a front runner. But a string of poor choices led Jose Luis to infidelity, which threatened to destroy his marriage. It was then desperate to save his family that he literally opened the door to the truth of the gospel. A series of visits by the pastor and several members of the local Assemblies of God Church opened Jose Luis's eyes to the message of the Bible while their times of prayer softened his heart to consider the reality of God's existence. It was a dream, however, in which he states that the Lord stood before him and said simply, I am, that finally convinced Jose Luis to believe. He was later baptized and having reconciled with his wife, Gloria, they became members of the church. Now Jose Luis promotes the faith he once ridiculed, serving alongside his wife as leaders of a brand new church there in Mani, Yucatan. Amen, amen, amen. God has given us the privilege to walk alongside Jose and Gloria, providing them the resources that they need to be able to plant this church in Mani in a section of town from which the evangelical church had been noticeably absent. There he's utilizing the resources that that he's received both guide those who are discovering faith for the first time and to welcome back those who had previously lost their way. Now, friends, that's not the type of faith you'd expect from a former atheist. But going beyond, we found that God provokes amazing faith in the most unlikely individuals. But you know, he doesn't just provoke amazing faith in the most unlikely individuals. We find that God also brings healing in the midst of brokenness. God brings healing in the midst of brokenness. We're continuing on in Matthew 15, now at verse 29. 
It says this, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were, ma- were, were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. Having delivered this Canaanite woman's daughter, Jesus then proceeds back to, Ca- to, to Galilee. Its full name was Galilee of the Gentiles, of the non-Jews, of the foreigners. He's still now moving in lands beyond the boundaries of that traditional Jewish influence. And in this land of foreigners, in this deserted place, Jesus does the unexpected. The sick are brought to him, and he heals them all. The mute were made able to speak. The disabled he restored. The blind were made to see. You can't help but think of Jesus' response to John the Baptist's question as to whether or not he was the Messiah in Matthew 11. There in verse 4, he says this, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. In essence, what Jesus was doing here in chapter 15 was a continuation of his messianic ministry. He's ushering in the kingdom of God, even in this land of foreigners. I remember now, 15 years ago, struggling with Jesus' call to go beyond on my life. That's our picture of us 15 years ago. You see, I had received a calling as a youth, but... That path to ministry wasn't as straight as I had imagined it it would be. It seemed as every door I had tried was locked shut. And after 13 years in Springfield, Missouri, graduated at that point from Bible school and seminary, it was no, I was no closer to my goal, it seemed, than when I had arrived as a freshman on Central Bible College campus. It was at that point that I was approaching the age of 30, that ripe old age of 30. How many remember that? But I was beginning to wonder if I would ever fulfill that calling. Besides, at that point, I had had a full-time job. I had three children. I had a mortgage. Missions just didn't seem to fit into that lifestyle. It was only then when a friend, Butch Fry, who was then the area director to Mexico, he asked me, Dave, when are you going to stop fooling around and make it to the mission field? That I finally understood my problem. You see, I had let the routine of everyday living remove that focus from my God-given purpose. Instead of stepping out with Jesus, I was turning inward. Instead of reaching out to others, I was focused on fulfilling my own needs. It was only when I surrendered my life again and I said, Yes, Lord. And I reaffirmed that call to go beyond with Jesus that those doors began to open for me to serve him as a missionary in Mexico, and not only for me, but for my family as well. And it's been in Mexico, friends, in a place described as so far from God, yet so close to the United States, that we've been able to see the kingdom of God breaking in. This term, chosen as leaders of the district evangelism department, we were able to see 130 trained in evangelism and church planting concepts. You're seeing just one class of those individuals there on the screen. 
while 30 works, each one of those blue points is one of those works, were founded or revitalized, affecting the lives of hundreds of individuals. And among those hundreds of individuals are children giving, being given the chance to smile again, teens being rescued from life-controlling addictions, and adults being given a brand new start. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that's the kingdom of God. Because going beyond, we found that God brings healing in the midst of brokenness. But going beyond with him, we find that he not only provokes amazing faith in the most unlikely individuals, he doesn't only bring healing in the midst of brokenness, we find he also works through us, not according to our ability, but rather according to our obedience. We're going to finish up our consideration of Matthew 15 now in verse 32. It says this, Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? They replied, Seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told the people, all the people, to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Now the healing's over. Jesus calls his disciples together, and he says this, I feel sorry for the crowd. Now, the English, ver English Standard Version says it this way, I have compassion on the crowd, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Merriam-Webster defines compassion as a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with the desire to alleviate it. He was, in essence, expressing his will to see his, his disciples intervene in this situation and meet this need. But they responded like many of us do. Where would we find enough food in this wilderness for such a huge crowd? They responded simply, Jesus, we're not able. But you see, friends, he wasn't asking them if they were able. He was asking them if they were willing. Because God doesn't work through us according to our ability. He works through us according to our obedience. And it was in the middle of carrying out his plan, in the middle of responding to his will, in the middle of accomplishing that desire that he had expressed to his disciples, that those resources that they had, just seven loaves and a few small fish were multiplied, satisfying not just the 4,000 men and the women and the children who were present for that day, but also the disciples' needs. And not just for that meal, but for several meals afterwards as seven large baskets of leftovers were gathered after that distribution. Friends, this is the miracle. This miracle is the object lesson that proves the point. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is to do the will of God and its righteousness, that which exceeds the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that which seeks to get involved in the need. And all of these things, what are all of these things? Our needs. They will be added 
unto us. Friends, this is the word of God, and it works not just in the first century. It works as well in the 21st century. I want to introduce you to Lily and Kari. You see, they had their misgivings as they had responded to the call to plant a new church. As they went forward to commit themselves to the training, they thought that they'd simply learn about church planting, prepare themselves so they'd be able to help another who was already underway. But as they reviewed their homework following the very first lesson, they found that they were being asked to evangelize a community that had not yet been reached. It was at this point that they had to ask themselves the question, would they be willing even though they didn't yet feel able? As they prayed, they traveled to a place called Blanca Flor. This is a place so remote that even their traditional Catholic services happen only sporadically. But there they met the people. There they heard about the problems that they had faced, and there they got involved. Applying the lessons that they had learned, they shared the hope of the gospel and the very few resources that they had. Now, in that town of only 60 people, there are 30 people meeting regularly with them and finding out the difference that Jesus can make in their lives. That's because as we go with him, we find that he works through us, not according to our ability, he's working through us according to our obedience. Now, friends, we have been extremely blessed to have labored for these 13 years in the Yucatan, among the many that we count not only as co-laborers, but as friends, brothers and sisters in faith, in purpose, and in action. Still, as we strive to keep in step with the Spirit, we find ourselves responding to the Lord's call to go beyond on our own lives. As of July 1st of this year, we have accepted the appointment of the Executive Committee of the Assemblies of God to serve in the role of Mexico area directors. Now, friends, in accepting this position, we don't pretend to be able to solve the problems of drugs, of immigration, and corruption overnight. But as we collaborate with the national leadership of the Assemblies of God and the 26 missionary units serving there in, all throughout the country, we believe that we can be a factor for change. Let's take a look at this video. We, too, see the potential that Lalo sees. And as area directors in Mexico, we stand and work and pray together with him and others like him to see that potential fulfilled. Friends, we see a vision of Mexico redeemed. Although only one in ten in Mexico called Jesus Lord, we know it's not God's will that any Mexican should perish, but that all might come to have everlasting life. Mexico redeemed is a vision of unreached people groups reached. It's a vision of cities saved. It's a vision of rural zones healed. It's a vision of university students discipled. And it's a vision of children formed. We accept this role and we embrace this vision because as we respond to the Lord's call to go beyond, we have found that he provokes amazing faith in the most unlikely individuals. He brings healing in the midst of brokenness, and he works through us, not according to our ability, but according to our obedience. But we've come before you this morning to not only give you our communication, we've come as well to give you our invitation. You see, God's not only called Jose Luis, 
He's not only called Lily and Kadi. He's not only called Lalo and the Godswell family. He's calling each and every one of you as well. To leave behind a limited understanding and a nearsighted vision to see the bigger picture. To say no to hypocritical faith and to hear and respond to the Lord's call to go beyond. Now for you, it may be as simple as introducing yourself to your next door neighbor but it may mean as well following him to the other side of the world. I'm going to be praying this in just a moment, and I would ask that you would ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the way in which you should respond. Still, I would submit to you Mexico this morning as a place worthy of your attention. Lauren Triplett, a former executive director of the Assemblies of God World Missions, once lamented, we keep flying over Mexico to reach the mission field. Unfortunately, that seems to be again the case. Where once we had 50 missionary units working there, we now have only half that number. Among the unreached people groups, a population of 3 million people, we have only two missionary units working. Currently, in Mexico City, a city of 20 million people, we have only three missionary families. We have one missionary family with access to 17.4 million rural poor, two missionary units working to disciple the 4 million university students, and four missionary units working among the 11.4 million children of Mexico. Friends, we desperately need to return, and we need to bring more missionaries with us. But you may be asking this morning, how can we help? How can we in Chesterfield, Missouri, Make a difference in Mexico. Well, the department, the National Missions Department of Mexico provides us with some direction this morning. They say, Las misiones se hacen por las rodillas de los que oren, las manos de los que dan, y los pies de los que se van. Now, they speak Spanish in Mexico, but the translation is there on your screen. Missions is accomplished by the knees of those who pray, the hands of those who give, and the feet of those who go. So, I invite you then, as you hear and respond to the Lord's call to go beyond, that you might open your heart as well to Mexico. Pray for its people and for those who are ministering to them. Give on a one-time or a monthly basis so that we might be able to return or others like us might be able to return. And consider going to involve yourself physically in Mexico's redemption, and not just Mexico's, but also the world's. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we're so thankful. Thankful for the opportunity that you give to us to partner with you in this work that you're doing all around the world. And we're reminded of that during this Christmas season. We're reminded that you set aside your glory and you took the form of a human being and you were born in the middle of our situation. Why wouldn't we too be involved in the situation of others? We who have received a hope, why would we not go and follow the example of our teacher, of our Lord, and go to where they are that they too might know the hope that we found in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I'm so thankful for this enterprise that you have created, the fact that 
we as missions supporters can pray and we can be involved in the work that you're doing around the world, that we can give, that we might send representatives to the four corners of this world, across the seven continents, Lord God, we can have representatives, and that we too can go and collaborate, knowing that we don't go on our own, but that you are already there, willing to receive and direct our efforts to save the millions who do not know you, the billions who do not know you. So God, I pray that this morning you would help us to focus on the next moments that are before us, to respond to what it is that you would have us to do. Pray, yes, help us, Lord God, to recommit. Give, yes, but I pray as well that you would stir our hearts, even those uh, who are here this morning, to go, that this harvest might be gathered, that many who are lost might be saved. And we thank you for all that you've done this morning. And we give our lives over to you just for these few more moments that we might respond appropriately. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.